Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. We're the NC Wine Guys. Welcome to Cork Talk. In this episode, we connected with Leslie Zimmerman and Christy Otranto of Zimmerman Vineyards in Trinity, North Carolina. Leslie originally purchased the land back in the late 80s as part of her homestead. She was looking for something to do to benefit the community, and so the idea of a vineyard came to mind. A quick note about this episode, the day we recorded it, a massive rainstorm was coming through Trinity, so you may hear some rain in the background. The wine mouths are also back in this episode. This time they tell us about wine bottle sizes and alternative packaging. So sit back, pour a glass, and listen. All right, we're here today with Leslie Zimmerman and Christy Otranto of Zimmerman Vineyards in Trinity, North Carolina. Leslie and Christy, welcome to Cork Talk. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. We're very excited to have both of you here today. Let's have both of you introduce yourselves. Maybe start with Leslie and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do at Zimmerman Vineyards. So I'm Leslie Zimmerman. I'm the owner of Zimmerman Vineyards and um, I'll do everything from managing grapes, working in the vineyard, um, marketing, responding to emails, working in the tasting room, you name it, I do it. And I'm Christy Otranto. I've been friends with the Zimmermans since about 1997, I believe, and uh, have helped them from the beginning. And uh, just kind of been, like she calls me, her girl Friday and Thursday. Monday, Tuesday. (laughs) And every day of the week, really. And I help out uh, in the vineyard and um, at special events and in various other capacities. Well, it's very exciting. So tell us a little bit about Zimmerman Vineyards and how it is you got started. So Zimmerman Vineyards is a portion of um, my homestead, which is 140 acres. And originally my ex-husband and I purchased the property Um, originally in 1987 and married in 1988 and then started creating a little bit of home out of chaos. The property had been left destitute for six decades and little by little we resurrected an old house that was built in the 1800s, 1860s to later house um, our family of seven. Um, that grew literally on the vineyard, um, on the property. Eventually what happened as we continued to clear and clean, we started wondering what we could do with the property. And we looked at a multitude of different things like bed and breakfast or nurseries. And um, we're trying to figure out a way to have the property work for us. And I always joke that you've got to be careful about what you wish for because now the property is working us. (laughs) And um, ultimately, it was a visit from a uh, babysitter that was working uh, on her degree in small fruit production. And they had gone to one of the 11 vineyards wineries at the time, West Bend Vineyard, and she came by afterwards and she goes, oh my gosh, you guys really need to look into vineyards. You've got the right aspect. Um, It's exciting. I think you guys could do it. And that led us to discovering vines and vineyards in North Carolina. That's excellent. That's a really cool little backstory. So 
seems like a lot of acreage there. So how many acres do you have that are uh, committed to grapes right now? We have five acres committed to grapes and um, we have it separated into two vineyards, the upper vineyard, which you pass on the way in, and that houses uh, uh, Chardonnay and Cabernet Sauvignon, which we were told were the backbone of the industry in those times. And then um, we have the tasting room and terrace, and which then overlooks the lower vineyard, which houses um, Merlot, Viognier, and Cab Franc. We had decided on those three reds because those are three that are prominent in a Bordeaux blend. And we just needed another white. So we looked into the Vignet and um, really, really like the Vignet, although we should have known in the description that it was going to be a challenging grape, which it has been. Yeah, everyone tells us that about Viognier. It's, <laughs> some years yeah. you get a really good crop, some years you get nothing, and you don't really sometimes don't understand why. What's the difference there? Uh, can you talk a little bit more about exactly where you're located, is, uh, and kind of the view that you have from the terrace there? So I'm about halfway between Lexington and Asheboro, off of Highway 64, or if you're coming from I-85, um, we are south of High Point and north of Thomasville exits. So um, we get, we're also halfway between Raleigh and Charlotte. So we've become a meeting point for some. And you're, we're nestled into um, the Uari Mountains, which are some of the oldest mountain ranges in the United States or North America, I think for that matter. And it has a vista of um, slow rolling hills. So you feel like you're out in the middle of nowhere, which you are, um, but it's just got a really uh, beautiful, um, magical vista. I would agree with that. Uh, and, and I'm happy that when you were talking about the upper vineyard, when you first drive in, the approach to actually get in there is is kind of in itself something to behold because it's it's not right off the road so you're you're kind of going in and winding around and then once you get there you're like oh wow there's there's a vineyard here and then all of a sudden you see everything else that's there and it's just like wow okay this is this is kind of hidden away and, and tucked away nicely yeah and the view from the terrace is breathtaking well and that's one thing that COVID nineteen has expanded for us that area is just a small part of the property. It's like on the edge of our property. And when all of the pandemic occurred and things were shutting down, I tried to figure out what could I do um, in addition to just to go that I could do for others. And every day I walk with my dogs on the 140 acres. And I thought, why don't I offer that to others? And believe it or not, on some of the trails you go up there and the vista is even a larger grander scale than what you see down at the vineyard oh, wow. so it's really been a um, wonderful experience and something that i plan to continue which is a silver lining from something that's been quite challenging so you mentioned the pandemic so let's go ahead and talk about that and, and how it has impacted as of this recording uh, North Carolina is in phase one of reopening, which means that there is no on-site consumption allowed at vineyards and wineries. So how has that, and it's been that way since the end of March, 
How has that impacted your business? Obviously, tasting room sales are, are down as everyone else is, but how have you, how's it been impacting you and how have you adapted other than the trails and that sort of thing that you just mentioned? So what I've done is, um, of course, have alcohol to go and to inspire and to support another local partner. What I've done is offered, instead of just a monetary um, discount, for example, with a half a case, a 5% discount and a full case, a um, 10% discount, um, I've tried to support another local manufacturer and um, the other business that's local is the Goat Lady Dairy. So what I've done is offered some of their cheeses, your choice of a cheese, a Chevra log, um, a Chevra cheese log and a sleeve of crackers, um, a couple of varieties and um, several, your choice of four different varieties with a full case. And it's really been something to see because people have heard of the Goat Lady Dairy and in talking with Carrie and Bobby Brads, who are the current owners of the Goat Lady Dairy, and they were the original cheese makers for Steve Tate at the Goat Lady Dairy. Their um, quality of product is extremely well known. And I had never used one of their aged cheeses before. And because of the pandemic and what they were able to do and not able to do, Carrie had suggested an aged um, cheese. And so we've added their Lindale raw mil um, cow milk Gouda, which is phenomenal. Um, that I just shared with Christy and her husband this past weekend um, with any of our Reds, and it was just mm. absolutely phenomenal. Great, great partnership. Well, so we've seen a lot of people coming specifically or buying more just for that, and so we've been able to help support another local business during this time. That's fantastic, and yes, Goat Lady uh, Dairy is always a good choice if you're looking for local cheese in North Carolina. Uh, and certainly sounds like a fantastic combination. Um, anything else that um, you'd like to talk about as far as the pandemic and the impacts? Obviously, it impacts all of us, but uh, particularly as a small business owner, I'm sure the impacts are pretty great. I have been overwhelmed by the support of the community. I get a little weepy here. Um, because while I've not necessarily grown financially i have um, been able to maintain and i've been able to um, increase my customer base specifically because of the walking trails i've had people that have put up notices in their neighborhood um, facebook pages about the opportunity to walk here um, others that are sharing just for the trails and that's really brought in a lot of new customers and it's just been um i've got groups that come every sunday just to walk the trails and they said that's that's helped them maintain their sanity and i always stress to everybody that while i'd love to have you purchase um, a bottle by no means is it necessary each time but it's just uh, my way of giving back and helping but that's a great way to build those relationships with them. And they're going to tell someone else, even if they don't actually drink wine or buy wine from you, they may tell someone else who does. So, so Leslie, in addition to uh, running and owning a vineyard, you also have a day job, correct? 
Yes, I also am a teacher, and um, I'm a licensed K-12 ESL, which stands for English as a Second Language. So I teach English to students that have something other than English as a home language. And I have students that speak Tagalog, which is a Filipino um, dialect. I have um, students that speak Urdu. Um, I have students that speak, um, that are Montagnards and speak, not Vietnamese, Hmong, Hmong, and then um, Hispanics from South America or Mexico that speak Spanish. Um, I've also, in the past, taught Spanish and taught reading. So I'm licensed K-12 in all of those. So um, it's been a little bit um, challenging recently juggling the vineyard well not just recently always because i'm also a mother of five um challenging my three different passions teaching family and the vineyard yeah it sounds like a, a lot to deal with and especially right now with all that going on and um you're to be commended to be able being able to juggle all of that absolutely absolutely i know where they keep the wine <laughs> <laughs> i was just gonna say probably a little wine doesn't hurt doesn't hurt that <laughs> everything in moderation so let's take a, a step back really quickly so your tagline is great wines no myth so what does that mean to you and how does it represent the brand of zimmerman vineyards it represents um our logo, which is Sisyphus. Sisyphus was the Greek king of Corinth, and he had upset Zeus, so his eternal punishment was to roll a rock uphill, which would roll back down, and he'd have to start all over again. There is a book by Albert Camus, a French philosopher, that says that you must imagine, well, the book's a lot longer, but the, the gist of it is that you must imagine Sisyphus happy um, because he so loved life that he embraced that challenge of that rock. And so our rock to push uphill was that we were the first in Randolph County, which is a dry county, was and still is. So now, um, and then we had a customer who had come and he had coined that phrase, great wines, no myth, because he felt our product line was above and, uh, and beyond a really solid um based line of wines and um he just loved them all and so being one of the in, uh, earlier vineyards a lot of people had maybe not misconceptions but a conception of what north carolina north carolina wines were and they weren't necessarily good or french vinifera not that muscadines aren't good but um, they just had their vision of it, and so they want. He wanted to let people know that in North Carolina, great wines aren't a myth; that you can and will find them. So let's talk a little bit about the wines. Um, so the wines are made at Childress, correct? Correct. It's um, we utilize what's called custom crush. We were actually Childress's first customer, and we are their oldest customer. Um, for Custom Crush. They now do about 24 um, different vineyards that don't have uh, the facilities uh, of their own. In addition, they also now have started doing um, sparkling wines because they now have different par um, 
bottling systems that they can do that for. So some vineyards that even have their own bottling and uh, crush facilities may not have that. And so it's a wonderful uh, relationship, uh, which makes wineries extremely unique in businesses because we do cluster marketing where we interact and um, uphold each other and re and recommend each other to different customers versus something that's more cutthroat in and antagonistic in other businesses so that's that's a really wonderful type of business to be a part of yeah that's the one thing that we like about the wine industry is is you hear others referring customers to other wineries that to me when i'm in a tasting room and i hear that um that makes me feel good um, to know that it's it's like that and the fact and the custom crush uh, i think personally i think that's a, a great setup because you get you get variety in the wines that are available for you to purchase across the state and across the the, the u.s um, but you get really good quality because of the the crush facilities being able to have that equipment and this expertise um, and certainly Mark and the team at Childress, they, they do a great job um, across the board. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about the wine specifically. So maybe walk us through what's on your tasting, or I guess it's not a tasting list at the moment, but what's on your list for people that folks can purchase right now and talk a little bit about, about the, the wines and a little bit how they're made maybe. All right, well, um, we have two different flights that you can choose from, either a classic wine tasting or a premium wine tasting. Um, the classic wine tasting are a little bit younger. We have um, a white Merlot, which is a dry rosé, and then we also have a Viognier. We have a 2016 Cab Franc, which is a little bit lighter and very easy sipping red for the summer. And then we have two semi-sweets, a red and white Persephone. So red Persephone and white Persephone are blends. So all of our blends following our Sisyphus logo and our Great Wines No Myth um, motto, all of our blends are named for Greek mythological characters. So those are our two semi-sweet blends. Going on into the premiums, right now we have a, a Chardonnay, which is ever so lightly oaked. Um, and I was mistaken, the Vignet is on the premium wine list, but Vignet, I always talk about that as like the other white grape. Like people talk about pork as the other white <laughs> meat, in addition to chicken. But it's a, it's a, it's a lovely grape when you can get it to grow. And um, right now we're out of um, our two premium blends. We have a white Sisyphus, which is a white Bordeaux blend with Sauvignon Blanc as its base. It's the only grape we do not grow here on the property, but have paired with Charts Hill Vineyard, Ken Craven's vineyard that grows Sauvignon Blanc, and he was the 2014 Grape Grower of the Year. So utilize his grapes in our white Sisyphus which and then um, we have a regular Sisyphus, which is our um, red Bordeaux blend. And for those that don't know, Bordeaux is a region and a town in France, and it has a river, several rivers running through it. And so the whites grow better on one side of the river and the reds grow better on the other. And both of them 
it's a blending of those whites and of those reds that create the Bordeaux blend. So our three reds that we grow here were all chosen to, to make our Sisyphus, our board, signature Bordeaux blend. And then in addition to those, we also have um, two premium Cabernets, a Cabernet Franc and a Cabernet Sauvignon. And um, Cab Franc, just like the Merlot in the old days, used to be used just as a blending grape, but it's really become um, one of its own. It's a just a really nice grape that actually was a precursor is, or like Big Daddy to the Cab Sav. But in 2007, we had, um, like this year, an extremely challenging season where we had an extremely late freeze, um, record temperatures for like the last 100 years. And um, we had already had fruit set. That meant our little grape clusters had already evolved. Uh, and it wiped out the whole eastern seaboard with fruit. With grapes, however, they have several buds, a primary, secondary, and tertiary. So you can get another bud to break bud afterwards, but you're not going to be having, you won't have as large of a crop. It's not as prolific. So in 2007, we did get a secondary bud and um, we had about one sixth of a crop hanging. Then on top of that, when harvest came along, we had drought, which you might think, oh no, that's horrible. Actually, a rain is worse um, at harvest time because it will be soaked up by the grapes and they'll become very watered down. But a drought is great because it really concentrates the flavors. So in 07, you talk to anybody about 07 and, and they'll say that was the year of the reds in addition to the freeze but we had a finite quantity, but excellent quality from the get-go. And our cabs from that year are, were inky black. Originally, we only opened them up for Sisyphus Saturdays, which um, was an, is an event we um, have the last Saturday of the month, a music event, um, April through October, but now we have that premium tasting available every weekend. So do you have a favorite? Is it some of those 07 reds? Well, okay, that depends on if I'm eating something and what I'm eating That's and the good. type of weather. Because I, um, I recently, Christy and her husband were here and we were grilling filet mignons and that um, Christy had marinated wonderfully. And then we uh, added blue cheese crumbles on top with roasted uh, a side of roasted asparagus. And we had um, both of the Cabernets, premium Cabernets, but our favorite was the Cab Sav with, with that one. Mm -hmm. um, it just was one of the best meals I've had in years. And I'm usually disappointed by steak because there's such a hoopla around it, but it must've been um, Christie's magic marinating that's all i can say sounds like a magical pairing of food and wine oh my gosh so christy do you, do you have a favorite on the list of all the or all the wines i knew you would be asking me that <laughs> i thought about that before this interview but um and i feel like at some point which sounds silly that you know all these wines are like your children you just can't really pick right. your right. favorite however um it it's similar to what leslie said that it depends on what I'm eating. 
But to say for these two, the 07s, her cab sav, I really love, but I think lately I've kind of been leaning into the cab franc. It's just a little bit, oh, I don't know, softer, I would say. So, but I'll tell you, it's just a toss up between those two. <laughs> what did you choose Sunday? Uh, cab franc. No. Oh, what do you mean? You, Sunday, you took something else home with you because what were you having on oh. Sunday? But I did choose Viognier because we were going to have salmon for dinner. So <laughs> Viognier is really good with fish. Viognier, sure. yes, very nice. Oh, it was delicious. Yeah, absolutely. And much like, you know, wine is very situational. It depends on where you are, who you're with, what you're eating. Um, but it always is a good pairing. Absolutely. I agree. So this is actually a really good spot for a quick little break for our wine education segment. So uh, when we come back, let's pick up with some events and then we'll continue on from there. It's time again for Wine Class with the Wine Mouths. Jesse and Jessica, welcome back. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So what are we talking about today? Today we are going to be talking about packaging. Interesting. Okay. So, you know, we all want to drink wine, but it's kind of important how we get that wine, (laughs) how that wine is stored and how it's delivered to us. First, going to talk just a little bit about wine bottle sizes, and then we'll lead into different kinds of packaging and and that kind of thing. So most people are probably drinking wine from bottles. (laughs) Um, And you can get wine bottles in many different sizes. So down from a piccolo or split, which is um, 187.5 milliliters, but it's like a single serving, basically. Wine to go. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, if you're ordering a, a mimosa and they bring you a nice little teeny tiny bottle of champagne for you. <laughs> okay. um, that's kind of what you picture for that. And then you've got your half or demi bottle, which is 375 mils. Um, and that is half of your standard bottle, which, of course, is 750 milliliters. And that's the, kind of the standard. From there, you go up to a magnum, which is two standard bottles, or a double magnum, which is two magnums or four standard bottles of wine. Or for those who like boxed wine, like a, me, <laughs> the convenience, um, that is equal also to a box of wine. So three liters is four bottles of wine or a box of wine or a double magnum, depending on how <laughs> you want to convert that. Or one week of wine. (laughs) (laughs) Or or wine for a party. Yeah. But from here, it gets really fun. So um, the historic convention convention for naming wine bottles was actually after biblical kings. And I'm not going to bore you with all of them, but I thought Jessie might want to tell us her favorite from the list. My favorite is Nebuchadnezzar, (laughs) just because that's one of the few biblical stories I remember from childhood. (laughs) And if you're ever in the market, that is 15 liters of wine, which is 20 wow. standard bottles. I couldn't even imagine lifting that. I think that would be way <laughs> too heavy. Pour that into a glass. <laughs> <laughs> which Nebuchadnezzar built a golden statue. So there you go. Yeah. The bottle would be like a statue. <laughs> yes, it would. A golden statue of wine. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe when all the social distancing is over, we'll find a Nebuchadnezzar bottle and and go to town. <laughs> Perfect. So what about what else about packaging uh, is is interesting out there in the wine world? Well, I kind of hit on it a little bit already, but there, you know, there's a plethora of ways to store wine, basically just to keep the oxygen out. But, you know, so you got your boxed wine, 
just like wine in a, in a bag inside of a box. And there are places in North Carolina for those locals that are doing alternative packaging too. So if you want boxed wine or bagged wine, you can um, check out Shadow Springs or Sanders Ridge. That's right. Um, there's also canned wine, which is kind of newer to the market. Um, but it's fun for, for adventures, fun for, I don't know, any, any time. Kayaking, <laughs> beach. Yeah, so definitely yeah. easy to bring with, right? Yeah. Yes. And you need much less than beer. So, yeah. you know, if you want to go kayak, you may just need two cans of wine and you don't even need to bring a big old cooler full of beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, and, a, that's a good call up because typically a can is, what, 12 ounces? So that would be almost two servings of wine at least, right? Yeah. So I was going to, we were going to put the important... Um, caveat here to to watch out because canned wine can sneak up on you uh, <laughs> usually so they've started making some cans smaller but in general it's like 375 mils which is half a bottle half of so. a bottle or two glasses so if the can of wine looks like a normal can of soda or beer then it's probably half of a bottle of wine <laughs> <laughs> as you are sipping you're not going to be able to keep up with your beer drinking friends <laughs> or you probably should not be able to keep up with your beer drinking friends so yeah just look out for that so now a question of etiquette with canned wines do you open the can and then pour it into a glass or do you just drink it right from the can i Great just question. drink it from the can yeah i feel like when i drink canned wine i'm somewhere where i'm not going to bother with another glass anyways so yeah i was going to say it depends on your environment so if you're out on the beach or on a river you're not probably going to not worry about having an extra glass on hand but if you brought it along on a picnic you know and you're setting the the ambiance, then you might go through the trouble of having a glass to pour it into. Perfect. And if you're drinking canned wine, you're probably not looking to worry about it. There's many kinds of wines now in cans and also boxes and bottles and all that. But yeah, so you've got even sparkling canned wine and red and whites and rosés. And... Which sparkling is kind of wonderful in a can because it gives you that feeling like you're like the good feeling of drinking soda with the carbonation. And I can see that really sneaking up on you fast. <laughs> yeah, be careful. <laughs> so there are several North Carolina wineries doing canned wines. Round Peak and Plebe come to mind. And there's a few places doing growlers, I think, too. So Plebe does does growlers. And, of course, a lot of the cideries, I think, do mm-hmm. do growlers as well. Bonus and Barrel's actually doing some cans, too. That's true. They are. Oh. Yep. yep. Yeah, so that was a, a lot about canned wine, clearly, that... That has a special mm-hmm. place in our heart. The many different types of bottles, the different shapes. So going back to the bottle aspect a little bit more. Yeah. And the two standard bottle shapes are Bordeaux and Burgundy. So I've heard them referred to as like the masculine and feminine version. So Burgundy are the ones that are more sloped, kind of like a Pinot Noir is usually in or a Chardonnay. It's like a curb, curvy, voluptuous bottle. Mm-hmm. And then Bordeaux is kind of more your high neck, high shouldered bottle. Kind of boxy, but good. Yes. Yeah. Easier to stack. Yes. <laughs> you can fit more in your wine shelf <laughs> that way. That's absolutely true. <laughs> um, of course, there's different colors of, of glass that you can get and you see out and about. Um, green is kind of the standard, but you might also see blue or cleared, you know, depending on what's in the bottle and how it wants to be presented. And always watch out for clear. Make sure you're drinking it very quickly after it's been bottled. Yeah. If it's, if they've selected a clear glass for their, the wine, it's usually like a white or a rosé or, you know, something that needs to be 
is meant to be drunk quickly. Yes, because light is not really good for wine. So, hmm. and, and I guess like the darker colored glass would definitely help prevent some of those light from damaging the wine itself. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Very good to know. And then blue, blue. Yes, if you want to be, yeah, fancy. Which you, you often see like old exactly. old rieslings and stuff like that in blue yeah. bottles. So right. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, can it just be a stylistic choice, too? I'm thinking of Grove. They put their... Um... Traminette, is it? Yeah, I think so. Like, their sweet Traminette. Or maybe both, but I know they do both a sweet and a dry. And so it just sets it apart, and it becomes marketing at that point, I think, mm-hmm. as well. So it also depends on what you're putting in the bottle as far as, like, what glass is going to be able to hold it. So if you're bottling sparkling, it's, there's a lot more pressure in the bottle so you have to use a bottle with thicker glass to be able to withstand all the, the pressure inside. And that makes sense because you don't want a wine explosion in wherever you're storing or making your wine. So that's yes. safety yeah. first, right? Absolutely. Interesting. So a question for you two then, do you have a favorite alternative packaging? I think the little growlers are kind of my new favorite because they're, you know, it's fun. It's a little bit more modern. It's not been done as much. Canned clearly. Yeah, from an accessibility standpoint, can definitely kind of tops the list. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've ordered some cans from mm. a winery in um, Denver, actually, and it's just much a much smaller, lighter box than trying to get a case mm-hmm. of wine shipped to you. That's true. So all around lower packaging, uh, lower shipping rates. So yeah, we didn't even hit on closures, but you know, you've got your Quirks, obviously, but there's plenty of screw tops and uh, crown caps nowadays, too. And the idea is just to keep oxygen, you know, away from the, the wine so it can be stored for a long time. So in that sense, depending on what the setting is for your wine drinking, there's no real difference in the quality yeah. or aspect. But it all depends on what you're looking for. Very cool. What is your go-to alternate packaging? Like if you guys are planning an outing or you know, an adventure for the day. Are you going to have a, a bottle? Or are you going to decant a bottle in something? That's a good question. Yeah, we don't really, we've never really done the whole alternative packaging out, I guess. I mean, I think we've, we've had canned wine before, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. Certainly if you're having a party, box wine is, is perfect for that. Um, it's easy. You've got the little dispenser and folks can help, you know, it's and you don't have to worry about them breaking glass. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, there's plenty of options. I mean, certainly. Yeah, and we, we, we typically, I mean, for the alternate packaging, cans are usually the way to go. But for um, for like when we're having like, a, you know, a summer party or something like that, who doesn't love seeing a giant bottle of rosé on the table? That's true. Or Absolutely. in the ice bucket. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, this isn't packaging of wine per se, but now there's so many different types of insulated Yetis or right. different kinds of wine glasses that have lids that you can <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I think previous to canned ones, you know, if we were going to be out on the beach or floating down the river, we were not above pouring some wine into a, you know, one of those stainless steel swell bottles. Uh, I have one that holds a whole bottle of wine, and, and that was appropriate for a picnic. But definitely if you can get your hands on some good quality canned wine like is available in our state um that's a preferable way to go well very excellent so from bottles and cans to boxes and bags we talked about all the different types of packaging here with the wine mouth so jesse and jessica thank you very much thank you thank you 
You can find out more information about the Winemouths by going to their website, winemouths.com, or on Facebook and Instagram, at winemouths. That's W-I-N-E-M-O-U-T-H-S. And now, back to the show. Okay, so we're back with Leslie and Christy of Zimmerman Vineyards. Uh, so uh, you already mentioned this a little bit, so let's dive into a little bit more. Let's talk about Sisyphus Saturdays and what those events are like and how, what they mean to your business. So originally we wanted to, again, incorporate local. And so we started highlighting singer and songwriters and their original music. And we did this um, April through October, the best months of the year, um, and always the last Saturday of the month. And those events occurred usually from 5 to 8 p.m., and they still do, uh, June and uh, July and August. July, uh, June, July, and August, they're just a half hour later um, to let the sun uh, go down a little bit and for us to cool off a little bit. And... It's, once again, always to support local and to highlight singer-songwriters. We do not use any covers. They are all their original music. And this led us, because each group started coming back each year, and we usually had, they started developing um, followings. And I thought, well, how can I expand on this to give more people an opportunity to hear more musicians. So last year we started Songwriter Sundays and I'm on the Randolph Arts Guild Board of Directors, um, which is located in Ashboro. And through that, I met a gentleman named Jack Gorham, who's a, a phenomenal musician too. He's kind of like, um, he kind of looks like Elvis with the, the um, sideburns. sideburns, but he sounds like Jimmy uh, uh, Billy Joel. But we instituted every Sunday, and we had such a great response. We are continuing with our songwriter Sundays that are every Sunday, April through October, rain or shine, because now we have a 20 by 40 foot tent with lights and fans, and we try to get everybody scheduled, all of these songwriters, twice. So that you get to hear them once, you like them, and you get to come back a second time to hear them, to help them build a following. And I want to become known as the vineyard where you get to hear tomorrow's musicians today. And it's just really, really blossomed. I have multitude, multitude of artists emailing me or calling or messaging how can I get on there I've heard this from so and so and so it's really been a phenomenal response not only from the singer songwriter's viewpoint but from the community also that's really excellent that's such a great way to give back to the community and also provide an atmosphere where people can come relax hang out and then also discover new talent that might be right in their neighborhood Absolutely. And it's a great way to people to hang out and drink more wine. So <laughs> a win-win. Yes. Well, munching on Goat Lady Dairy or another local sure. staple, Mama Laura's Chocolates, and all of our little doodads in the tasting room, once again, are all, all from local artisans. It is um, 
all local. So let's talk a little bit about the vineyard now, since that's kind of the the, uh, focus for the business and that sort of thing. So talk about what it's like growing the varieties that you have. What are some of the pros? What are some of the cons? Um, And that's and maybe take us through when you typically have bud break and to harvest. Well, I'm going to let Christy um, share a little bit because uh, she's she's the vine whisperer. Well, that's a compliment. Well, they've uh, had, as you know, this challenging year just now with several freezes that have affected the vines. However, we still see bud break coming out. Uh, Some of the Chardonnay is actually flowering, which has this lovely fragrance that's just so so gentle. And I, I don't know, it's just a charming thing to walk through the vineyard and and experience that. Um, but as uh, time is going on and the weather is finally warming up, the other uh, grapes are starting to break bud and, uh, or flower, I should say, and those are coming out. And um, uh, we just have to continue all the maintenance of uh, typical things people may or may not know about the vines that you have to pull the suckers off and. Uh, to help promote better growth and thin them out a bit and be very selective in those and um, just keep uh, maintaining all the vines as they continue to grow through each of their various stages uh, of production and um, also uh, maintaining the proper spray schedule so that we continue to keep the disease down and um, uh, the pressure from that and uh, is eliminated and also with the insects that we have to be concerned about. And also the weed control has to be managed and, and uh, that kind of thing that just is always a labor of love because it's never ending. There's always something new that has to be worked on and continually maintained within the vineyard to bring out the uh, the great wines that come from them. Oh, for sure. So is the the nickname, the Grape Whisperer, an official nickname? Or is that something <laughs> that Leslie just came up with right now? No, I call her the Grape, uh, uh, the grape Whisperer, um, but um, first and foremost, she's my gal Friday. If anything else, the whispering is all the prayers we have to say <laughs> over these wines. <laughs> Such as such as life when you're farming, particularly when you're farming grapes. But but she's really good. She's she's wonderful in the vineyard. She really is good, and and she'll she'll pick a vine and she'll mother that vine through the whole year and take pictures of that baby and show how it's grown. And one of the toughest things for uh, an initial grape grower is to cut off grapes. But in actuality, it'll grow better quality grapes when they're not all vying for attention. Sure. So she can be cutthroat too, so. (laughs) Which is a good thing. Oh, yeah. But as a mother of six, you have to be. Oh, yeah. So, Christy, do you have a favorite variety that you get to work with in the vineyard? Oh, boy. I think Chardonnay, I'd have to say. It just seems like uh, it just cooperates better. Although the Viognier, you know, as we talked about, is a stubborn thing. And in a way, it's a fun challenge because you never know what you're going to get from year to year, from season to season. That 
vines sometimes will take off and grow into the next county or something. And then other years, you think, what in the world just happened? There's no, hardly any grapes on it. And you think, what do, what do we do wrong or what caused this? But I just think it just has a mind of its own and you just have to go with it. But um, I certainly do like this uh, Cab Sav as well, but that has been a particularly challenging grape for us uh, as of recent because we just had to make a lot of um, adjustments in the vineyard. But it's good to see the new progress that comes along and that's the rewarding part to see it finally uh, come, come back around and be happy again. And I'd have to say the Chardonnay, if, if you've ever heard stories or World War II veterans talking about World War II, everything was focused on um, in the Pacific, uh, I'm sorry, in the, yeah, in the Pacific, um, D-Day plus one, D-Day plus two, like, you know, oh, were you involved with D-Day? And um, my father was, and he was D-Day plus six. And so that means that they entered that fight six days afterwards. Chardonnay is similar in that whenever you discuss grape varietals, everything stems from when the Chardonnay breaks bud. So you really use that as the beacon for everything else. And um, so that's why it's at the top of our upper vineyard because it's going to break bud first. And so it may be more susceptible to, but, um, bud break and damage getting nipped in the bud with cold weathers. And when you've got cold air that comes, you literally, it'll fall downhill like water. And so that's why it's at the top of our vineyard. And that's why having that incline and um, a slope helps with vines. And literally at the base of the bottom vineyard, we have trees, but we had to cut channels through the trees so that the wind, the cold air would not hit those trees and then come back up into the vines. So it's it's quite a phenomenon. But so the Chardonnay is kind of like, you, you watch her, you watch her more often than anybody else because everybody else follows suit based on what she does. Sure. It's a sure. real bellwether. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and it sounds like it's a, it's the placement is well thought out because it makes sense that you've got Chardonnay at the, at the top of the vineyard and that whole cold settling. So we know 2020 has been challenging with the, the late freeze, but how was the uh, vintage and the harvest in 2019? That was challenging for another reason. Um, we had, for one thing, um, I have taken over sole responsibility for the vineyard. So the last couple of years we've been trying to, we've been cutting back and resurrecting the vines. So, um, so you can't base ours. Many people had great 2019s. We weren't expecting our best because we were really cutting back a lot so that it was going to diminish. We knew it was going to diminish our crop and we're continued with that this year because I have a great stock of Chardonnay. So it's like, okay, let's finish this three year pruning rotation we're doing. In addition, we had a challenge with our tractor that um, it would cut off. And so spraying, like Christy said, is extremely important every seven to 10 days because here, the humidity and these little, uh, the French vinifera grapes are a little bit of a tighter bunch. 
So you're trying to, uh, there are, the biggest disease is pressure is uh, molds and mildews. So it's really important to spray them. For example, we knew we had a week of rain coming, so you want to spray beforehand so that they're coated. Uh, uh, some people make the mistake of saying, oh, it's going to rain. I don't want to spray because then it'll get washed off. That's the opposite. You need to put a raincoat on them. And so uh, our tractor decided to start cutting off after about 45 minutes, and it would just sit there and wouldn't go. And it takes us to go through the whole vineyard about four hours to do our spray, two tanks. So, okay, got the uh, mechanic out here. He spent three hours. He says, I think I've got it rectified. Well, he didn't. Exact same problem. So we limped along the best we could. It would take us three days to spray, um, having to wait for it to, you know, wake up again. Ultimately, they took it away, repaired it, and um, and when it returned, Christy was in the vineyard, and I was at school, and she called me, and she goes, Leslie? I was like, yeah. She goes, did they have the bush hog on it when, when they took it away? And I said, no. And she goes, well, there's a bush hog on this tractor. So I left school. I came home. They had brought the wrong tractor. <laughs> oh, no. It was the exact same model, but it was not our tractor. Anyway, once I called them, we had ours by that evening, and um, it was a challenge. It was a challenge. <laughs> sounds like it. But it sounds like it, you're being very thoughtful in the way you're taking care of the vineyard uh, and the practices that you have in place. So that's... Yep, a good wine. Start with uh, great Absolutely. grapes. So talk to us a little bit about some of the things that you've learned over the years of doing business. I've learned that initially the focus was inward what can we we get um what monies can we get how can we sell more wine it wasn't focused on necessarily building relationships after the last three years of change that i've gone through my life-changing event i've had such phenomenal support from community not just family and friends, but just community and people coming to support and offering their time and suggestions and supporting us as a entity that the whole focus has changed um, outward. And it's all about building relationships, i.e. the musicians, the, the food partnerships, Artisans. the artisans and it's just become a family we no longer look at trying to make a sale but but we try to create an experience and hopefully we're doing that it, it certainly sounds like it for sure i mean with with everything that you have going on with the musicians and the local products and the local foods i think that you're definitely building up on those relationships for sure Another thing we found out is that uh, originally we closed January and February to kind of regroup and because it was a little bit too cold and I realized this past year, I can't afford to do that. I've got a darn tractor to pay for and all of those repairs. So we changed in that we had have a little bit of seating, a few pub tables in the tasting room now, added uh, a tent with a fan fans for the heat and a heater and working on sidewalls until I can get a pavilion built 
and we started doing wine, wine and food pairings. So January were, were uh, super Sundays. And once again, we went to local restaurants in the area and asked them for one of their signature soups, which we then brought to the vineyard and paired it with one of our wines. And then our final Sunday, we had a soup off, which was phenomenal. We must have had... 25 different entries. Wonderful response. Wonderful response. Mm -hmm. February, it was um, different restaurants and uh, sweets, mm -hmm. culminating with uh, a bake-off. And then uh, before COVID-19 hit and the pandemic, the March were different salads. My favorite recipes of different salads and, and what paired well with them. And so that was really fun. And that makes me think of just educational and just creating new experiences with food and wine. Food and wine is having them together is, is what makes them elevates each of them. So I think doing those types of events are, are great things. Uh, and certainly hopefully you'll be able to do those again real soon. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to. When uh, in fact a, a woman came today that was, um, trying to decide she hadn't been here in a while and had planned to come to walk, but it was a little bit wet for that. So she ended up getting a white Merlot and a regular um, full-bodied Merlot. And I suggested, you know, open them at the same time and compare and contrast because here's the exact same grape, but just processed two different ways. And then the second suggestion was to buy our 2016 Cab Franc and a premium Cab Franc and do a vertical tasting that a different year and a different growing season see what that produces. And hopefully, once we open back up, we'll be doing more things like that. We'll be doing vertical tastings. And uh, I would like to do some wine classes where I go to the other vineyards, for example, West uh, Rayland Vineyards has a Cab Franc rosé that I've heard great things about. And I would like to go and get some rosés from several different vineyards, not necessarily to say which one's better, but just to show all the different types of rosés you can and how wonderful they all are in different ways. I think that would be a really fun event to have. Yeah, that sounds really fun. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned vertical tastings too. That's something that we always enjoy on our side. Um, we'll frequently, you know, accumulate bottles over the years and then get to a spot where we have, oh, well, we have, you know, four back-to-back -back vintages of this one. So let's go ahead and invite some people over and see how the wine's progressing. It's always very interesting to see how the year, how the years, uh, you know, impact the wine, both the growing season and how it changes in the bottle. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Very fun. Very fun. We're waiting for our invitation. <laughs> <laughs> so well, are they. So are you, right, Matt? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Thank you. Anytime. Yeah. Always okay, welcome. so the first vertical tasting we have, you're invited. I'll let you guys know. <laughs> Perfect. All right, sounds good. So what's left the biggest impact on both of you over, over the years? Mm. Hmm. Well, we've seen in the vines... We started with form and function, progressed to chaos, and chaos just doesn't work. And so it's really impacted the health of the vines 
And it's just form and function is just so important in the vineyard. So personally for, for me, it's taken me a while, but I just feel very comfortable in the vines. And I didn't always feel comfortable in the vines, but the other morning after the, what was it? The fifth or sixth freeze, I was walking out there and I was just like, Oh, look at my babies. I just had this, this warm feeling and of pride and uh, ownership, which was just a, a beautiful thing as I caught that soft scent the last freeze didn't do as much as the April 10th one did. I just, really didn't see the damage and it was just wonderful that they those poor babies didn't get hit again mm-hmm. christy and i would have to agree i think we've had some challenging years with the vines and and uh, some of the different training techniques that went on and we've spent several uh seasons reinvigorating them and by adjusting those techniques and um really have seen a, a major surge in the health and vigor of the vines now. And we sure hope we'll see that in the grapes and the wine themselves. Something to look forward to for sure. Absolutely. And actually that's a really good segue. So what is it that you're looking forward to most in the future? Growing our base. I think that we want to, our, our focus, has changed so much the last year or two, like I had said, uh, instead of focusing in, focusing out, and want to increase our ability to support local by hosting private events, by interacting, by offering educational events, by just becoming the neighborhood vineyard and just creating more experiences, better experiences. I think that's just a a wonderful thing. Good experiences, great experiences. And I would say to continue to give artisans this venue to showcase their works. Um, As she said before, um, Jack Gorham introduced many musicians to, uh, to Zimmerman Vineyards and gave them these opportunities to play out here and and um, do phenomenal performances and bring in more guests to come and just enjoy this, like you said, this beautiful view along with the music and of course the great wines. And it's just a beautiful arrangement. And then also for all the artisans that do come and have opportunities they wouldn't normally have had or at least give them another venue to showcase their work as well. And and then of course, with all the food uh, pairings that we've been able to introduce have just really, um, I think, um, lifted the experience that people have when they come here and they're now also enjoying local um, uh, restaurants, um, and partnerships, and, I think. Well, yeah. and their foods that they would serve normally in the restaurant and now it can be enjoyed out here in a, just a whole different atmosphere. And it just makes it for a beautiful um, experience for everybody. And I, and I would have to concur with that and say partnerships. Some of the musicians we've had come back and um, for several years, uh, another 
big, huge favorite, Donna Hughes. And she draws people from Virginia and, and surrounding areas. And, and all of these partnerships just become stronger and stronger each and every year that continue to add to the experience. So we're kind of winding down on the questions. And one thing we usually like to ask at the end of the interviews is, what is it you want customers to know when visiting Zimmerman Vineyards? I want visitors to know whether you know bukus about wines or Jack Diddley, we're going to create an experience for you. We have first timers. We have I don't want to say wine snobs, but experienced wine drinkers. I think it's a wonderful venue to come and get away and to come and gain a wonderful experience. Christy? Yes, and I agree. And I think um, Leslie, as being a natural teacher, she's very good at explaining about the wines and um, we also, she's partnered with um, Maria, who also is very excellent behind the tasting room at explaining about the wines and what goes well with them and any questions they have and hopefully put everyone at ease and not be intimidated by a wine tasting if you've never done one before and hopefully um, be able to walk away with a feeling of confidence now in what they're drinking and why they're drinking it and what they like, which is fine. Everybody likes different things and that that's okay. And make them all feel at ease about any of their choices and how they feel about the particular wines they are drinking. But, and then of course, the next thing, as she, I said, that she teaches them what is uh, good to pair with those wines and um, how to enjoy them the best. Well, uh, Leslie and Christy, thank you very much for being here, uh, for, for being on the interview. Any parting words that you wish to give to our listeners? Come and visit as soon as you can, but be safe. Words to live by for sure. Leslie and Christy, thank you very much. We're looking forward to coming out and visiting and we will talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. That's it for this episode of Cork Talk. Thanks to Leslie and Christy for joining us. If you haven't visited before, we recommend you plan a visit. And as Leslie said, there's plenty of room to spread out and relax. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. This helps others find Cork Talk and lets us know how we can improve. Did you know we have a Patreon page? You'll get patron-only content, early access to each show, and more when you sign up. You can find more information at patreon.com slash corktalk. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NC Wine Guys. Until next time, and remember, cork only talks when it's out of the bottle. Cheers! Cork Talk is a Freeman LLC production.